Oh, amen. God bless you guys. It's good to be in the house with the Lord. It's good to just sing praises to the Lord. It's, it's, I'm sitting up front and singing with my wife and holding her hand. That's a joy for me these days because uh, I'm not leading worship now. Nathan is take, giving me blessing. But, I mean, it's just wonderful to hear the voices of God's people sing. Amen? And as it should be. And it's why it'll be when we get to heaven. We'll all sing together. We're going to be singing songs in heaven that we've never heard before. Isn't that a joy? Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Sovereign Grace. We have we have a full house today. and We even have some new uh, faces here as well. Uh, we're glad that you're here with us. Um, I will ask you this. Are there any children that need to be dismissed at this time? Any little ones that need to go? They are welcome to depart and go to their spot. Uh, but all, as well, all the little ones are welcome to stay with us too. Amen. God bless you. If you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, we will take a look at the concluding words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in this wonderful chapter. Um, we have been walking through two chapters of Matthew's Gospel for quite a while now. Uh, we looked at the first verses of chapter 11 on the second day of, of the second Sunday of August. And here it is, um, mid-November, and we're coming to the end of chapter 12. And Matthew has shown us who Jesus is with two basic views here. In chapter 11, we saw that Jesus is the one to come that was prophesied of old. And then in chapter 12, we see a common theme that Jesus is Lord, particularly Lord over the law, uh, the Sabbath law, but Jesus is Lord over both the spiritual and the natural. We saw a lot of miracles here in chapter 12. We saw that Jesus was establishing who he was in the natural world as well. But we, but the bigger point in chapter 12 is we saw that Jesus is something greater. Remember, the Pharisees were demanding signs from Jesus. Of course, if you were blind to all the miracles and the signs that he was doing, what more could you ask for? And Jesus says, I've given you all these signs, but you've also seen signs in the, 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 the story of Jonah. You've seen signs in the wisdom of Solomon, yet the sign standing before you is something greater. So who Jesus is is seen by how people interact with him particularly in chapters 11 and 12. Now we'll see in these closing verses of Matthew 12 uh, how Matthew shows us who Jesus is in relationship with the Father in heaven and those who are Jesus' real family. We're going to see who Jesus is as he describes to us who his real family is. Hmm. We'll see that the will of the Father is the common bond between Jesus and his kingdom family. So if you're able to stand, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 46. Now I'll be reading from the ESV. Some of you may have different translations. And as I read, you may say, Pastor, you're missing a verse. We're going to get to that here in a second. Verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Verse 48, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother 
and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for this time to pause and to hear your voice. Lord, we have been blessed by singing praises to you this morning. We have been blessed by even studying your word in Bible study. But Lord, now we ask that you would calm our spirits, that as you speak here through your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would be speaking to us now. I pray, God, that this would be a time where you will reveal the truth of your gospel even more. And I pray, God, that we would listen. So, Lord, this time is for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please sit. So as we hear the words that describe this scene, and this time of year, uh, thoughts of family and and bonds of home come to mind. I mean, we're in the season of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Do you realize it's here? Some of you are going, oh, me, oh, my. Uh, talking with some folks this week, I mean, it is that time of year. I mean, planning for family gatherings. So some of this may come to mind here. I think it's very timely that God has allowed us to come to this text as we're thinking of family. But a particular focus here are the words of our Savior describing who he considers his closest family. Let's look here at verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. To understand, I think, what Matthew is doing here, he's setting up the scene. We need to understand the importance of family bond in the Jewish tradition. Let's make sure we understand the tension here. A strong emphasis persisted on the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Y'all know what? Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's part of the Decalogue. Very important command of God to honor your father and mother. Why? That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. We, 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 we've heard this from childhood. Honor your father and your mother. It's a biblical principle. It's foundational to the kingdom of God. But we have to understand in this context here, as Jesus is being told, your mother and your brothers are outside wanting to speak to you. It almost seems as if Jesus is disregarding this command. But that's not what he's doing. Let's take a look here and make sure we understand what's happening. It's interesting here that Matthew shares with us I guess in just this brief form, some of Jesus's family situation at this point in his ministry. Jesus had a mother, we know, Mary, and we'll be singing songs about Mary and about the nativity here coming soon. We'll be singing and thinking and probably having Bible stories about Mary and the birth of Jesus Christ. It's coming soon in this season, isn't it? So we know that Jesus had a mother, Mary, and we also see in this text that he had some brothers who wanted to speak to him. And in verse 50, Jesus adds the idea of a sister. So why would they want to speak with Jesus in this particular setting? Mark's gospel account, I think, tells us a little bit more about a time when crowds were pushing around Jesus and he was teaching them and his family felt that Jesus was going mad and they wanted to protect him. 
We see this in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Then they went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. The crowds were around Jesus and, and his family were trying to get to him. But there was this theme here that Jesus was crazy. And his, his family wanted to get near him, maybe to protect him. And the greater question, though, remains here. Jesus is teaching. He's teaching his family. His family wants to speak with him while he's teaching. So why did Jesus not honor his mother and stop what he was doing to listen? Right? Why did he not do this? The greater question here is perhaps Jesus took this moment as a teaching moment, not just for the crowds with him, but maybe he was trying to teach his family something as well. So we know that Jesus had a family. We know he, he has his mother and his, his father, his mother Mary and his father Joseph. As we read this text, it gives us an indication they must have had more children. Jesus was the firstborn. They must have had more children. And even we see here in verse 50, even daughters. Now the Catholic tradition holds to the doctrine of Mary's divine perpetual virginity, meaning that Mary had Jesus as a son, but she never had any other children to continue her virginity. That's the Catholic tradition. And, and perhaps, and, and the reason there is that these brothers and sisters of Jesus in the Catholic explanation were either cousins or perhaps children from a previous marriage that Joseph had. Now, some scholars argue that Joseph may have been widowed. We don't know. But there is no historical and there's no biblical evidence for any of these claims. These claims are only attempts to justify the logic of a perpetual virginity in the mother Mary. That's where these historical thinkings about why does Jesus have more brothers and sisters, right? There's no biblical evidence that that these were cousins or that they were children from a previous marriage with Joseph. There's no biblical evidence here. So we can't really take that as, as truth. I say here, based on the biblical evidence, that Joseph and Mary, they clearly had more children after Jesus, brothers and, and sisters. Can you imagine being a brother or sister of Jesus Christ? The oldest one of the family. Can you just picture that family dynamic? Yeah, I'm just going to let the imagination run wild. Jesus is my brother. I'm just in his shadow. All that. Can you imagine all of that? So clearly we see that Jesus' family, I mean, we're getting a hint here in these verses of who his family was. And so the Gospels tell us the names of Jesus' mother, Mary for sure, and it also tells us of the names of his four brothers. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, and in Matthew 13, 55, if you're taking notes, we see the names of his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. Those were the names of his brothers. So we know that he had family. We don't have the names of his sisters, but other biblical accounts mention the sisters. These accounts tell us of the, of the struggles that Jesus had in ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. Matthew chapter 13, verse 56, even mentions sisters in his family. So perhaps the reason that his mother and his brothers wanted to speak with him in Matthew 12 was that they feared for his safety. Because in his hometown of Nazareth, in Matthew 13, we see that Jesus could do no miracles there. And you can imagine the hometown boy came home and everybody who knew him from childhood said, who are you? That's even what the text tells us. 
We know who you are. You're Joseph's son. And your brothers and sisters are still here in Nazareth. Who are you to come in and act this way? That's the scene. But in Matthew 12, 46, and even in John chapter 7, verse 5, we see that another scene where his brothers did not really believe in him. And he said, John 7 verse 5 says, for not even his brothers believed in him as he was being persecuted and accused of being a false prophet. So even, even Jesus' family, we see a hint in the scriptures, they struggled with who Jesus was. I mean, if my brother told me he was Jesus Christ, the Messiah, I would tell him he was crazy, wouldn't you? If you grew up with this child, Jesus, and he now he's an adult and he's doing wonderful miracles and getting a grand reputation, you may want to bring him down a peg or two to keep him from being too smart. I can see that. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 even tells us that Jesus' mother and his brothers were present in the upper room in Jerusalem when Matthias was chosen to replace Judas, the betrayer. We even have a record there that his family was present. So his family must have been near him and followed him from time to time in his ministry journeys. We see this evidence. Now we look here in in Matthew chapter 12. We just read verse 46, and some of you may have a verse 47. Is anybody here here missing a verse 47 in your text? Do you pay attention to that? (laughs) Okay. Uh, As we read this verse... The ESV that I have skips from verse 46 to verse 48. Other translations include a verse 47 that says, Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside asking to speak to you. And then in verse 48, But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? I don't know if my mama showed up for a visit and she said, and you know, I was too busy to see her. And somebody brought me word, your mother's outside. And I said, well, who's my mother? Can you imagine what I would be facing when I got home? So we have to ask ourselves, what is Jesus doing here? <laughs> it's an odd question for sure. I, I think this is a rhetorical response. It's not, a, it's not a response of disrespect. It is, a, it is a, it's a, re, a rhetorical method of teaching. He's, it's a teaching moment here is what it is. It's, it's a, it's a, he's trying to teach a profound truth about the kingdom of heaven here. He, in other words, Jesus sees a profound moment of learning. Homeschool families, you ever, you ever see those from time to time? They do happen every now and then when you're struggling to teach your children. There are those moments of brilliance that you don't expect that the Lord gives you. And you say, Hey, I can use this to moment to teach a point. This is what Jesus is doing. So then, so what we have to understand here is verse 49 and 50 tells us exactly what he's saying. So as he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Verse 49, and stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. He's teaching a greater point here. Initially, we can see in Jesus's words that his disciples are his family. Has anyone ever felt that your church family is more close to you and more your family than your real family. Can we say an amen? And there's nothing wrong with that situation. Jesus is showing us here that his true family, as he points to his disciples, these are my real family. 
Now, this is in no way is giving us permission to go and abandon our mothers and our fathers and our family. We are still, and that's another sermon, but Jesus even calls uh, heresy and anathema against the Pharisees who boastfully ignore their family in order to serve the temple. That's, that's a different sermon altogether. But he's saying here in this verse 49, as he looks at his disciples, here are my mother and my brothers. Here's my family. This is my real family. His disciples are those who follow his teachings. His disciples are those who are a part of the kingdom of heaven. That's his family. So who are his disciples? His disciples are his brothers and his mother and his sisters. They are those who do the will of his father in heaven. That's what verse 50 tells us. So for the rest of our time, let's look at verse 50. You ready to look at verse 50 for about an hour? We can dissect this for several hours if we need to. But verse 50 is really the meat of this passage. He says, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of my father. I mean, it's obvious here that Jesus was proving a bigger point. I think mostly against the Pharisees that dominated all of chapter 12. Proper use of the term father really became a struggle during Jesus's public ministry. That's really one of the reasons, one of the main points that got him in so much trouble. Because in rejecting the honorary title of father that many religious teachers would have, many religious teachers, even in, in the Jewish tradition, they were supposedly sovereign on all spiritual matters. But clearly we see that they distorted or diluted the truth of the gospel. And Jesus warns, remember, Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 23, we're not there. He warns in Matthew 23 when he's actually giving He's, he's really challenging the scribes and phrase. He's condemning them. It's the passage of the seven woes. Woe to you passages. In Matthew 23, here's what Jesus says about taking the idea of fatherhood in the title and the office of teacher wrongly. Matthew 23, beginning in verse 8, he says, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. And you are all brothers and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors or teachers, for you have one teacher, Christ. Now, the context of Matthew 23, it's not, we're not going to have a long uh, sermon here today on that. We'll get to that later. But the context in this passage is that Jesus is condemning the scribes and the Pharisees who are setting them themselves up as the, the spiritual fathers of the people. And Jesus is warning them, you have not earned the title. There is one father that we all obey. Even Christ himself obeyed the Father in heaven. So it's very likely that in the scene here in Matthew 12, that Jesus is making one more point about the kingdom of heaven as he's condemning the scribes and the Pharisees. He's, he's taking them to task. Clearly, he's making a teaching moment for everyone who is in attendance. Now, the key phrase here in verse 50 is, who does the will of my Father in heaven? You want to know if you, I mean, we may even ask ourselves as we read this passage, does Jesus see me as a brother or a sister? 
or a mother. Does he? The way that we understand that is the, the key phrase here in verse 50, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. That's how we decide or discern, are we, does Jesus see us as his brother and his sister? Are we doing the will of the Father? As Jesus does the will of the Father? That's what we have to discern here. Now, in a creative sense, God is Father over all that is created. He gave life to Adam. He formed Eve. He is the Father in that sense, in the fact that He is the Father of all that is created. Yet, in a spiritual sense, God is only Father of His elect. He's only Father of His chosen. He's only Father over those who do His will, in the spiritual sense. The Apostle Paul makes this point when he's at Mars Hill, the Areopagus, in Acts chapter 17, when he cites the common idea of all people as God's offspring. If you look in Acts chapter, we're not going to look there today, but if you're taking notes, look at that encounter between Paul and the Sophists and the Stoics. There was this common idea in, in pagan culture that All humanity is God's offspring. The idea can be found in at least two ancient texts. One is from the Stoic philosopher Clenthes, and there's an ancient work called the Hymn to Zeus. The Hymn to Zeus in the Greek culture refers to all humanity as God's offspring. Another source is from the Greek poet Aratus in his poem, The Phenomena. And that's probably what is being cited in Acts chapter 17, where Paul clarifies who are the true offspring of the Father in heaven. Paul uses that moment. He uses the Greek pagan idea of all people being God's offspring to teach the truth that not all people are God's people. The fatherhood and the sovereign lordship of God was well established in the Jewish tradition apart from the pagan tradition. Malachi chapter 1 verse 6 actually speaks about God as Father and Lord. I mean, even even in the common liturgy of the Hebrew synagogue, there was a common phrase used, our Father, our King, in the common worship in the synagogue. So the Jewish tradition saw God's paternity the father of his people. But the New Testament also repeats this term of father. Every time we see the the, the Greek word theos, the father's will is sovereign. That's, That's the common theme we see here, not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament traditions about who God the Father is. He's father. He's sovereign. He's Lord over all. The larger point here that Jesus seems to be making in verse 50 is that God's paternity, his fatherhood, it reflects more than our human perception of what human fatherhood is. Matter of fact, God's fatherhood is transcendent in in many important ways. There's a a familial point here in verses 49 and 50 that Jesus sees his disciples as fellow siblings, as we all submit to God's paternal lordship, Jesus and his disciples also submit 
to God's paternal lordship. Jesus sees God as Father. And whoever sees Christ as Lord, Jesus is saying, just as I see the Father in heaven as Father, so do you. Do you see the common fatherhood between Jesus and his followers? They have a common divine Father in heaven. That makes a family. Is that part of what defines a family? A common father? Yeah. We all share this. Jesus is saying this. This doesn't mean that Jesus, I mean, Jesus is the son of God. Yet he is God's son by close relationship where we are God's children. We see God as father through adoption. Even though there is a You can argue on one hand that God is the father of all humanity, but not everyone is in his family. Remember that Jesus often called the Pharisees broods of vipers, or literally children of the devil. Here, in speaking to the crowds, Jesus is making one more point to contrast who the children of the serpent were and who the children of God were. You see what he's saying here? The Hebrew idea of Elohim was this idea of father, and it was unique against all of the the Near Eastern pagan religions of the day. Uh, There's an idea of a god named El. You may have heard this in some of your studies, El. The, 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 The Near Eastern pagan religions saw El as father of all. But God revealed himself to the Hebrew tradition as Elohim. El, Elohim. Two different words, two different ways of thinking. Elohim can literally be understood as father of a chosen people. You see the contrast? God, even in his self-revelation, was making it very clear. The pagan idea of a God of all is much different then who I am revealing myself, I am God of a special people. So God revealed himself to everyone as a special God of a special people. And so the Old Testament speaks of God as sovereign, as one who begets the nation of Israel. He is the one who begets a miraculous people. Very different. So Jesus, here in Matthew 12, verse 50, he's emphasizing an important point. He implies a divine begetting on the one who does the will of the Father in heaven. The Father in heaven, just as he he began Israel, he beget Israel as a chosen people. Now the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus is establishing the kingdom, begets a more true family, a true family of God. You see that connection there? The language of family is is huge here. But we have to really drive home the point here. We have to really clarify that not everyone can be God's child. Not everyone is going to be Jesus' brother or sister. Not everyone will be that. The Old Testament Hebrew tradition intentionally actually sought to avoid any alignment with those pagan ideas of God as all-father God for everyone. I mean, the Hebrew tradition really separates the idea that God is not the father of all. 
He's the father of a special people. And so Israel, the nation Israel, and the traditions there of the temple and the temple worship, they avoided the concept of God as a universal father. Now, not so much because other religions burdened it with pagan ideas, but because the concept of a divine fatherhood was so unique and the view of God's elective choice of the Hebrew people was unique and very distinct and very worthy of establishing as a, as a pride. To be the pride of, I mean, to be God's chosen people, I mean, can you imagine taking a sense of pride in that? That's my daddy. Y'all, is anybody here proud of their father? I hope some of you are. Fathers get a bad rap anymore, don't we? Fathers get a bad rap. I mean, all fathers are ignorant and bumbling fools. Or they're mean and they're bullies. But in a godly home, a father is, I mean, he deserves honor and respect. Dwayne's back there looking at joy. I saw that. Amen. Amen. So the Hebrew tradition made a very important distinction that they were God's people. They had a God who chose them. And so this view of divine fatherhood actually carries over in the, in the tradition of the messianic prophecy that, that Chad helped us see this morning in his call to worship. There was a prophecy of a Messiah coming and this idea of God as Father carried even through the the Davidic covenant. The Messiah, His Son. And so even in the Psalms, there were Messianic Psalms. We've looked at at the Psalms on Wednesday nights here in our Bible study and our prayer. And if you're not here on Wednesday nights, you're missing rich, rich interaction in the Psalms, aren't they? Right, Joe? Right, Paul? Right, right? Right? We're, 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 we're delving into this. And when you read the Psalms, the idea here of David's covenant and David's throne is huge. And God sees David as kind of like his son. But it's like he adopted him. <laughs> he's adopting the Messiah. I mean, or he's, he's adopting us through the Messiah. And they all anticipate and type the promised Messiah and adoption as sons and daughters. But the adoption to sonship that centered on David actually points not simply to the Messiah who is to come, but also to the one whose suffering and obedient sonship in the New Testament leads to adoption of of us as sons later. We are adopted as sons and daughters because of of Jesus' suffering. Jesus, the Son, who is God's direct Son, suffered on our account so that we could be adopted into God's family. And Jesus is speaking about that really here in verse 50 of Matthew 12. Whoever does the will of my father is my brother and my sister and my mother. Just as Jesus is doing the will of the father in his crucifixion and sacrifice. So God spoke here also. Here's what else we can see. God spoke through the prophets on this too. When he speaks through Jeremiah to the nation of Israel, God shares his disappointment to his children for not seeing him as father. Any fathers here feel disappointed when your children don't acknowledge you? Jimmy, you need to acknowledge your your dad. He just called you out there, brother. 
<laughs> Amen. That's a good one. Jimmy's the good son. But Jeremiah, he, he actually, God speaks through Jeremiah in, in expressing his frustration with his children. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 says this, God speaking to Jeremiah, I said how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, a heritage most beautiful of all nations, and I thought you would call me my father and would not turn from following me. Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. God's frustration also goes further through the prophet Hosea, Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. God says this, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. See, Jesus, see, God was very frustrated with his people because he saw the nation of Israel kind of as his children. And he wanted them to see him as their father. Yet just as rebellious children often do, we ignore our father. And, jo and God expressed that often through the prophets. That's why they were condemned. Not only were they rebellious in worship, they were rebellious in not seeing God as Father. So it's a common theme. So by the time of Jesus and the establishment of the kingdom of heaven, the Pharisees and the scribes, they had established an arrogance that they were the righteous children of God. Two ways, because they followed the Mosaic law, but they were also in Abraham's lineage. They were proud of that. But Jesus, Jesus regularly shredded their false hypocrisy while he also taught the compassionate, loving truth that all who do the will of God the Father are his children. You're not God's children. You do not see God as Father. You don't have that right simply because you obey laws. You also are not God's children. You do not call Him Father simply because you were born into the Abrahamic lineage. The deeper layer here is that all who do the will of the Father are viewed by the Son of God as family, serving right alongside Him to a loving Father in heaven. You see, Jesus loved His Father in heaven. He obeyed His Father in heaven perfectly. And He calls His disciples to come alongside as His family, His brothers and His sisters. But let's not, let's make sure we don't water this down too much. Jesus in no way here in verse 50 of Matthew 12 is saying, I'm your best buddy. In no way is Jesus saying, if you're my brother and my sister, we're just equal. That's not what Jesus is saying. Because if you think that, then you've totally missed all of chapter 12, and Jesus is being established as Lord. Now, you talk about the oldest child syndrome. Jesus is the big brother. He's got control in the house. He's also God divine. 
we're sharing in Jesus with Jesus as family, but he's not our best buddy either. He's pointing, what Jesus is doing here in verse 50 is he's pointing to the Father in heaven. That's the point. He said, anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. It's also important to note here that Jesus emphasizes honoring of parents. He considers the requirement of obedience to God and discipleship as transcending earthly loyalty. He goes beyond that. So for these pharisaical scribes, a crisis is unfolding here in regard to fatherhood. (laughs) Because anyone who who confesses Jesus as Messiah, there's a provocation here. Matthew chapter 10, verse 20, remember it says this, Jesus said this when he was teaching. He said, for it is not not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 20, the context there is Jesus is talking about those who go out and preach the gospel and profess who Jesus is. And he's telling them, if you go out and I'm sending you out to proclaim the gospel, and if you're worried about what you say, Matthew chapter 10, verse 20 says, it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So in summary, what do we see here? The Hebrew tradition knew that God, he revealed himself, he revealed his own fatherhood in a distinct relationship to the community of who were under the law. But Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament, they reveal God's fatherhood, God's paternity in a much deeper way. The Pharisaical scribes, they saw God's fatherhood as legal obedience. In other words, God is our father if we obey. What kind of father is that? But Jesus revealed God's fatherhood through an emotional connection, an adopted child's emotion and love for a father. Amen? This divine fatherhood involves an intimate relationship between God and those who believe. Children adopted as sons in Jesus Christ. We see the common idea of Abba Father throughout all of Jesus' ministry. And even while he was hanging on the cross, do you remember? What was he, what did he cry out on the cross? Abba, Father. Now, the Apostle Paul also carries this emotional outcry in Romans chapter 8. But then again, in in Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, And because you are sons, God has set the spirit of his son in your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So when we look back at Matthew 12, verse 50, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. If you are seen by Christ as his brother and sister, then you will be willingly and honestly and emotionally seeing the Father in heaven as Abba, my daddy, 
It's more the emotional, relational connection than it is a legal obedience. Amen? So what does Jesus mean here? That his brothers and his sister and his mother are those who do the will of the Father. Who, who are, these are those whom God chooses, who have a genuine contrite and broken heart. Who does God choose? Those who are broken. Those who are humble. Those who are repentant. That's what contrite means. God chooses those who are intimately connected with them, who are repentant and forgiven and redeemed and made new. Jesus' true family are not those who are family by birth and they're not family by legal standing. Jesus' true family are those who have the Spirit of God's Son living in their hearts. You remember last week's sermon in verses 43 through 45? Those who have no more room for unclean spirits to return. Those who Christ dwells in the heart makes no more room for the evil spirits. Those are God's people. Those are the ones who are seen by Jesus as his brother and his sister. If Christ dwells in your heart, and there's no more room for evil spirits, and he has taken up residence there, and he has made you new, you are in the family of God. So what does this mean? Those who come to Father in heaven, our Father God in heaven, as a small child dependent on him, and those who are dependent on God the Father, they cry out to him, Daddy, Abba, just as Jesus does. How many of us in this room can honestly say, that is my relationship with God the Father this morning? Do we think of the Father in heaven in those terms? Because if Christ is in us, that's how Christ saw him. Amen? Amen. Jesus cried out to his father in heaven like a small child calls out to his daddy. How many of us do that? How many of us think of the father in heaven as this demanding deity looking down upon us to find fault? Or a demanding father in the, in the skies that's looking down upon us to see something to, are you obeying me or not? It's not what Jesus is calling a brother or sister. He's not calling the family of the kingdom of heaven. That way. He's saying, if you look to the Father in heaven the way I do, as an emotional Father who has rescued you, wow, then Jesus will see you as his brother or his sister. You know, this chapter 12 of Matthew's gospel has been has it been, I mean, it's been a rich exploration of understanding who Christ is. And I think these final verses here of the chapter really tie things up very neatly. Jesus is Lord. <laughs> Let's not forget that. But what's great about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is He is sovereign, He is Lord, 
but He invites us to be a part of God's family. And the way that happens is the Holy Spirit reveals to us our separation and our abandonment, and He calls us home. How many of us know that we're in the embrace of the Father in heaven at this time? How many of us may be struggling with that right now? I don't know God as a father. I'm trying every single day to obey, and I mess it up. What we see here in Matthews 11 and 12 is that God the Father has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to welcome us into the kingdom as repentant people. And as we are repentant and as we are broken and as we are humble, we are forgiven. We don't forgive ourselves. It'd be like going to your parents and saying, all right, Dad, I just crashed the car, but you've forgiven me, so let's just move on. What kind of a conversation would that be? I don't think that would go very far, would it? There, I mean, if you, if you wreck the car, it, you don't go to mama when you wreck the car. You have to go to daddy when you wreck the car. And there's going to be some accountability. First of all, a loving father would say, are you okay? They would want to make sure that you're not broken and you're not bleeding and you're not dying. That's the first act of a loving father. After that, after that, then there's going to be a reckoning. What were you doing? How fast were you driving? Were you looking at your phone? There has to be honesty there with the dad. What's that? Then you start to bleed. Then you start to bleed. <laughs> you see, so God the Father loves us, but He's going to hold us accountable too. So my invitation to you now is, as, as Nathan is closing us with, with some song, I want us to close with prayer. I'm going to ask you to use this closing moment as opportunity to do some reflection in your own heart, to ask the Father in heaven to reveal to you where you are. Does Jesus see you as a brother or a sister? Are you truly in the family of God or are you on the outside and you've blinded yourself thinking, I'm part of the family, but really you're not? Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for your word. And dear God, your son, Jesus Christ, he loves us. Because, Father, you love us. And your son, Jesus, has died for us. And he's made a way for us to be forgiven and to come into your family, this kingdom that you're establishing. Lord, we thank you for that grace. And this morning, Father, as, as we meditate on these final verses of Matthew 12, Lord, I pray that your Spirit would cause in every one of us listening to meditate on our views, our thoughts, even our, more importantly, our, our true relationship with you, Father. Are you really our Father? Are we really your children? That's not something that we decide. That is, that is your gift. That is your grace. And so God, I pray that your Spirit would pour out upon us as we close in song. 
and that you would draw us into your arms. Those who are listening who know you as Father, may they see you in a more intimate way. But Lord, those who do not know you as Father, who are deceived, Lord, I pray your Spirit would show them. Show them that they're not your children. Lord, forgive us for thinking that all humanity is forgiven when it's not. Forgive us for thinking that just because we are made in your image, that we are in your family. We're not. And so God, love us at this moment. Please be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.